I can say maybe some of the things that I used to do that I can't do now, which would be things like exercise or what you would formerly have, what you would think of as exercise. So any kind of like cardio or, or weights or anything, that's pretty much all out of the question. This is Ailey Blunny, a 38-year-old from Dublin who is living with long COVID. I don't go to pubs or clubs or into coffee shops or I don't go out for dinner. Ailey first caught COVID in 2021, but she never fully recovered from the initial infection. In fact, her symptoms of exhaustion and fatigue only got worse. I don't drink alcohol. I have a very like minimal uh, social life. Um, I go up the stairs on all fours usually <laughs> to conserve energy. I don't drive. Um, I can't really comfortably write or text or email people. So far this year, more than €6 million Euro has been pumped into long COVID services across the country to help people like Ailey. But understanding of the chronic illness is still very much in its infancy. And new long COVID cases are emerging all the time. It's not that they don't believe you. It's that it's new. It's kind of, it's new to them. They haven't necessarily learned a lot about it in medical school, uh, in their studies. And so my experiences have mostly been like, I'm describing to them what it is. And based on what I'm saying, they will try to address some of the symptoms. But there is no cure. This is In the News from the Irish Times. I'm Sarah Kapalak. Today, is enough being done to help those living with long COVID? Ailey, you got COVID in 2021 and since then you've been living with long COVID. That's more than two and a half years. Can you tell me what are your symptoms? Yeah, so um, there's probably quite a long list of them, but I would say that the overarching symptom that makes this different to anything I've ever felt before is just this overwhelming exhaustion. Mm. So this fatigue at a level that I just don't have anything that I could compare it to in my former life as a healthy person. Generating or producing energy in my body is something um, that is very impaired, very difficult um, since getting long COVID. And also with that is being able to actually recover from any energy expenditure, any exertion. And for me, when I'm trying to go from like lying or sitting to standing up, what happens is the blood that's in one's body when I'm lying down is distributed well enough so that my body is is, is pretty well fueled on all fronts. But when I stand up, um, don't really know what the problem is, but what seems to happen is the blood starts to pool in the lower part of the body. So my legs and my lower abdomen um, would have most of the blood volume. And that, of course, leaves the upper part of your body without enough blood and and oxygen. And so your heart then compensates. So my heart will start to go 90 when I stand upright. And then that leads usually to like a pre-fainting stage or as actually just fully passing out. Ailey, can you tell me a little bit about what your life was like before you caught COVID in 2021? Were you an active person? Did you get out and about a lot? Yeah, I was uh, 30, 36 year, year old and and um, I was a pretty bouncy sort. Um, hmm. I used to be a gymnast, so uh, hmm. I, I sort of cartwheeled my way into my 20s and my 30s. Um, yeah, I was very active. Uh, also a musician. I was a working, a gigging musician. And I had just set up 
a private practice actually because I kind of changed direction and moved into counselling and psychotherapy. I wasn't like one of these people that runs ultra marathons or anything like that, but I was, uh, you know, I was, I was very fit, you know. And jumping to now and today, Ailey, what is a usual week like for you and getting out and about from the house? So I have been lucky in a sense that I've been able to continue to work part time. So I work as a counsellor three days a week for three hours. So that's all I've been able to manage to do. So I do that two days. I go into town on the Lewis um, and then the third day I work from home. And then the other four days of the week, I don't generally schedule anything at all. And they're devoted mostly to rest recovery in order to be up and at it and able to go, go into the next week again. You say that you work part-time three days a week and then you spend the other four days relaxing. But your form of relaxing is not like my form of relaxing. What does relaxation look like to you now? So the main thing that I'm, or anyone with this type of long COVID is typically trying to avoid is a thing called PEM, post-exertional malaise. So it is like your body is a phone battery that charges only to, for me, about 30% per day. Mm. And you have to begin to look at the world in terms of exertion, energy out, energy in. So there's different types of exertion, physical exertion. So things like walking or even brushing your teeth. There's mental exertion, which is thinking, remembering and watching telly videos, listening to audio stuff. Um, And then there's emotional exertion. And each of these separate categories of exertion kind of pulls off the power of your main battery, Mm. uh, which only charges to 30%. And once you exceed the limit that you can safely do exertion wise, you actually get this separate thing altogether, um, which is called post-exertional malaise. Sometimes it's called post-exertional symptom exacerbation. And what it kind of is, is like um, it's a worsening of symptoms following overdoing it. And so with what I do on my three days a week, I have kind of prioritized my work in those times. So each of my batteries, actually the exertion ones, physical, um, mental, emotional, are pretty run down by the time I get to the days of rest. And if I then were to go and you know, maybe binge watch something on Netflix or something that can then tip me over the edge and I'll go into PEM. But that is a a separate thing altogether. And it's really a, a dreadful experience um, and, and quite a scary one as well. You've said that every day what you're trying to do is not tip over into the state of PEM. Is there any particular analogy you use or that you find works best to help people understand what exactly PEM is or what it means to be going through it? Yeah, um, I, I tend to use a few of them. There's, there's one that I, I've just been using at the moment um, about like a, a hairdryer. I have this hairdryer for about the last 25 years hmm. and I really should get a new one. But um, it works really, really well for about two or three minutes and then it overheats and it shuts off, right? Yeah. And then I have to kind of leave it and in its own good time, it will cool down enough that it, I'll be able to use it again. That's quite a good analogy for what happens. It's like your your system sort of overloads, um, yeah. overheats, and it powers down. 
And then the, usually the first signs for me are I get this um this really horrible like nauseous kind of pain between my eyes behind my eyes and just on the bridge of my nose and that's usually the first sign that I get that I'm tipping over into PEM. What happens then to my body at least is I'll get that pain and it will sort of like spread out so the headache will shortly become more like a migraine and my body will this is the weirdest part of it it just in the shutdown it just it kind of goes limp so I have to go to bed And the first thing that I need to do is block out any further kind of sensory stimulation. So even hearing the sounds around the house of like a door closing or cars going by outside or or people talking, that then is further exertion. And at that point, your battery's already at zero. So you you can't really withstand the extra exertion. So I would block out, I'd have noise cancelling headphones usually. I'd have, sometimes I put something over my eyes, but usually I just, pull down the, the blinds um, and get the room really dark. And then what I have to do is sort of consciously bring myself into what I might call like a, a bit of a self-induced coma. So I'm lying on the bed and I need to scan my body and try to release any little bit of energy that any part of my body might be using. So I need to consciously kind of dissolve any of that that I can and slow down my mind and kind of breathe myself into a deeper state of consciousness. The way that I sometimes describe that to people is like you begin by lying on the top of a salty swamp. As I breathe myself into that deeper state, it's like you're sinking into this swamp and you have to kind of completely surrender to it because to fight it, brings on further exertion, which will just bring you back and keep bringing you back into PEM. So the only way out is through. And the only way through is to surrender. And then eventually, at some stage, the swamp will release you back into, um, you know, reality. But you don't really have control over when that happens. Can you talk to me a little bit, Ailey, about the kind of medical care you've been getting for this condition? And do you think enough is being done for patients of long COVID? The short answer is no. (laughs) It's no, certainly, definitely not. In my own case, I have had good care. I'll say I only really had one negative experience. Um, There's not a whole lot that people can do for you. So that's sort of the basic understanding. But, you know, when you're going to any consultations, I remember seeing it was probably a tweet or something, but it kind of hit home. It was that um, the the medical system, as we currently know it in, in the West anyway, is designed for the well, you know, people who are well, who, who become temporarily sick. Okay. And if you're sick and kind of maybe temporarily well, the model doesn't work so well for you. Mm-hmm. So uh, that really does ring true for me. So a lot of what I've learned in terms of like, pacing myself, trying to intervene before a PEM episode. And that's been from people on the internet, the MECFS community, the long COVID community. Coming up, this year, the government invested 6 million euro into long COVID services. But is it enough? I'll talk to long COVID specialist, Dr. Jack Lambert, next. 
Jack, the latest figures that were released in September of this year, they show that 5% of adults in Ireland, or that's one in every 20 adults in this country, are actively living with symptoms of long COVID. And that means that they've had these symptoms of the virus more than three months after their initial infection. Can you talk us through, Jack, the most common symptoms of long COVID that you've come across in your work? Well, 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 there's a list of 200 different symptoms of long COVID. But if oh, you God. just go back to what causes long COVID, there seems to be residual brain inflammation. So that's the critical component. And brain inflammation, you know, we, we thought this virus was going to affect the heart and the lungs. But the residual damage from COVID, long COVID, is brain inflammation. And if people have residual brain inflammation, they often have exhaustion, sleep disturbances, anxiety, headaches, head pressures, pains all over their body, these kind of symptoms, memory problems, word finding problems, numbness and tingling from, you know, the the brain inflammation. And then people also have this autonomic dysfunction. They have hearts going too fast, hearts going too slow, you know, thermoregulation problems, feeling too hot and too cold. So people are on edge all the time. People are anxious all the time. People are overstimulated. So those are just some of the many symptoms that people with long COVID are presenting with. Do we know at this point, Jack, if someone is more likely to get long COVID than others or does it is it still totally random? Well, it seems to be more predominant in women than in men. And then okay. if you had a pre-existing, you know, there's some people that had like some previous like poorly defined autoimmune disease, there was something not quite right in their mm. past, or people who maybe, you know, there's some teenagers who had, you know, who got infectious mono or something as teenagers or young adults, and they had a period of three to six months where they were fatigued and then recovered from it. So I think there is, people are more predisposed to get long COVID if they have some pre-existing, you know, condition. But then again, you know, everybody can get it. You know, previously healthy men who are marathon runners, if you're that unlucky with no history of any pre-existing illnesses, they can come down with, with long COVID and a year later be unable to run a block, let alone run a marathon. Jack, can you tell me a bit about what happens in your clinic when your patients come in? Um, can they expect to be cured or for most of them, is this something they are going to live with long term? We're three years into long COVID now, and there's no kind of treatments out there. Mm. In my clinic, we've just piloted some safe options to see if people could improve. And one of the products that we we piloted about two years ago with long COVID was a product called LDN, low-dose naltrexone. And LDN is something that's used off-license. Uh, it has anti-inflammatory effects in the brain and it has immune-modulating effects. And then we teach people not to kind of push, push, push. We teach people to pace, you know, work within the mm-hmm. limits so that they don't end up crashing and paying the price the next day. So there are there are things we can do. There are no magic bullets to cure people. But I would say about 80% of people do respond to the treatments that we're being given. And some people are actually back to normal, which is, which is a good news story. Jack, there are currently six HSC long COVID clinics in Ireland. They're scattered across Dublin, Cork, Limerick and Galway. Now, you and your colleagues set up the public long COVID clinic at the Matter Hospital, which was funded by a grant from the Health Research Board. But in December 2022, the decision was made to close the clinic. How do you feel about that closure? Well, we were the first centre to, to, to have a long COVID clinic. It was funded with 
HRB money, not with HSC money. And we actually applied to get funding through the HSC. And that was back in July 2021. Until to this date, we've never heard back from the HSC. So I transferred all the patients from the Mater Hospital over to St. Vincent's. And unfortunately now, um, many of those patients have still not been seen a year after being referred over there because to my understanding, they're only running one half day a clinic a week and there's a one-year waiting list. And when I was running my clinic at the Mater, we were seeing 25 patients a week and we had a two-month waiting list, not a one-year waiting list. And this was a, a center that developed the excellence um, and the expertise and have probably 25 publications on COVID, long covid more than any other centre in Ireland. So hugely disappointing. According to our Minister for Health, Stephen Donnelly, investment in long COVID services nationally has been increased to 6.6 million in 2023. But based on what you're saying, it feels like the sense of urgency around long COVID isn't there. Do you think the money is going to the right resources? And is there enough money being put into this? I mean, huge Mm. monies have gone into studying covid and long COVID Mm. in the last three years. And we have learned a lot. The issue is, is that most countries missed the boat in terms of putting together a plan for long COVID. The first wave, we thought the heart and the lung was going to be affected. And the Mm. UK put together centers for the management of the heart problems and the lung problems and got specialists who are pulmonary specialists and, and infectious disease specialists to run the long COVID clinic. And unfortunately, Ireland has done the same thing. And we don't need to be focusing on the lungs or the hearts. We need to be focusing on the brain. And in Ireland, most of the centres are, are run by infectious disease and pulmonary specialists. There's only one neurology centre in the whole country for a population of 5 million. And there's eight pulmonary centres been funded. The, the feedback I get from patients is that the long COVID clinics do not have the training, the experience, the expertise, and the, and the GPs do not have the training, the expertise, and there's very little guidance coming from the HSC to support the GPs. It's not the fault of the GPs. So it's a very bad situation, I think, for long COVID, COVID patients and because they go to clinics, they fill out a questionnaire, they're told they're anxious, they get told to come back a year later, And Mm. they're lying in bed, you know, totally uh, unable to function. So I I don't think we have, uh, you know, the the minister can say what he wants, but the patients are the test. The patients say the services are not adequate. Earlier on in this episode, we heard how Ailey struggles to stand for long periods of times and that she's worried about venturing too far from her home in case she feels unwell and can't make it back again. Jack, one in every... 20 Irish adults is living with some form of long COVID. What kind of impact is this going to have on our society if we don't ramp up our planning and our resources to deal with it? Well, well I, I think it's like I said, it's, it's you know, that that in the first wave, people ended up in the hospital very sick and people died. And everybody was aware that COVID was a serious problem. Now people have just kind of put COVID aside saying, oh, you just get a mild cold but they fail to acknowledge that some people, that 5% of people are out of work for years and years. They're out of mm-hmm. school for years and years. You know, they're unable to, to function on the workplace for years and years. So I think it's going to have a significant impact. And then I would say all 5 million people in Ireland have caught COVID at one time. Some have caught it two or three times. And I think it is going to kind of continue, continue, continue. And it's going to 
have an impact, you know, on the workforce. It's going to have an Im- impact on, you know, on, on kids going to school if it continues, um, which, which it likely will. COVID isn't going away. So I said, you know, in the first wave, COVID killed you quickly. Now COVID is killing people slowly with long COVID. This also, Aileen, must be having a huge emotional toll on you. You've talked about not being able to socialise in the same way or go out with friends. How are you dealing with that? And is there anything you can do to enjoy yourself now and distract yourself from the reality of living with this debilitating disease? I have found a few things to be helpful. First off, I do my own weekly therapy. Even though by and large, I would say actually that my my mental health is is good you know um it episodically does take a plunge you know a, a turn for the worst and so my own weekly therapy has been really great in managing um what comes up for me along the way one thing i've noticed is as time has gone on my brain has begun to catch up with my body in terms of what it's able to do so i'll just explain that so for the first probably two years, honestly, um, I was still waking up in the morning and thinking from the point of view of somebody who's fully able-bodied. And if I was feeling well, I might be like, oh, you know, who will I contact or will I hop on the Lewis into um, Stephen's Green and go shopping or whatever. And my, my, that's where my brain was at. Mm. Um, and then there's this perpetual cycle of like crushing disappointment at the realization that I can't do that, you know? So there's, there's a lot of grief to process. Uh, just around what you've lost, you know, because you've you've lost life as you knew it for 36 years and um, you don't know actually to what level you're going to recover. But more recently, I found that actually my brain seems to have kind of internalized the memo that um, my body is now different, mm. you know. And so I wake up in the morning and the things that my I want to do are within my energy envelope, as they call it. And so I then don't have the same cycle of crushing disappointment. Um, And actually, even though it does require a level of like acceptance that this is me, you know, in a way, I feel like I sort of went to bed one night and woke up in a body that defied the laws of physics. You know, it's like having to learn a new body. It's bonkers. I suppose what what you end up doing a lot is adjusting. Yeah. So instead of sitting down playing the piano for like, I don't know, four or five hours on end, you might just do 15 or 20 minutes, then take a break. You know, my music career hasn't gone up in a, a puff of smoke, mm. but it, I have had to adjust things quite a lot, you know, to accommodate. And I am working on a, an album at the moment, which I'm hope it'll probably be a long time coming. I'm hoping to you know, sort of write what you know and try and capture some of this experience mm. that I'm having um, through sound and, and through song. I can enjoy music, yeah. It's that it has to fit into your new mode of functioning, is what I'd say. That's all for today. My thanks again to our guests, Ailey Blunny and Dr. Jack Lambert. This podcast is made possible thanks to subscriptions to the Irish Times. If you would like to subscribe, 
please go to irishtimes.com forward slash subscribe. We'll be back with another episode of In the News soon.